You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!
Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior Christ Jesus at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. He is in charge. He's in the captain's chair. He's at the helm and behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great big ship of ours through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today is Monday, December 11th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 649. We'll be doing a reading out of Matthew chapter 7, and today's show is called The Missing 13th Amendment, No Lawyers Allowed. Daily disclaimer, please be advised that I'm not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, a bar lawyer, and I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice while we're talking about no lawyers allowed. And I don't possess any titles. Well, I already said that. And while I am a member of the Michigan General General Assembly in good lawful standing, I am not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. I don't endorse or advocate for violence, and please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes unless otherwise referenced. I want to thank all of you for joining us on today's broadcast. And if you find this information extremely valuable and, you know, what we offer here, you take away solid information and, you know, take away a positive message from this platform, I would just highly encourage you subscribe to this platform. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show. I also want to invite you to find us on YouTube, Telegram, True Social, other platforms like that. You can like and share our pages, and you can find all those platforms on hishardline.com. That's www.hishardline.com. Okay. So, looks like one of our listeners just got back from the Keys. Lucky him. Lucky, lucky, lucky him. Good old Oscar. I hope you had a good time down there. Good time. He says, indeed, tempting to move that direction. You can have it. I lived down that area for a little while, and uh, my mom obviously still lives down there. I don't care to go back down there. It's too humid for me. It is too busy for me. There's too many old people. There's too many crazy drivers, and quite frankly, that's just going to just be nothing but one big giant recipe for a crabby Jason Jones if I had to move back down there and haul gas down there. I, I just I wouldn't be able to do it. There's no way I would be able to do it. And of course, my mom just got back from Vegas. Her and my stepdad had just got back from Vegas. So everybody's coming from all sorts of the you know parts of the country. People from out east going west. People from out west going east. Everybody's crossing paths in the sky. It's good times. Good times. And here I am, just stuck here in Michigan, uh, just uh, freezing my butt off. So yeah, when I got home, so. <laughs> I was just going to do a Bible or a, a, a podcast recording. I wasn't even going to go live, um, but I figured, you know, what, what the heck? I'll just go live, but I'm going to do it significantly early today. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be on the air. Tomorrow's my birthday, so I'm definitely going to be going out to eat and just chillaxing and not do a darn thing. Um, but I get home. I get home and I sit down. We have like one of those, uh, I forgot what you call it, hall trees or whatever, wall trees, whatever. It's like a bench thing that hangs up coats and all that stuff and i'm looking into my laundry room and i see the washer and dryer and i see a cord that's hanging over the dryer i'm like well that's not good so i went and investigated a little bit and i took that plug and plugged it back in and uh tried to turn on the dryer i'm like okay something must be wrong here and the thing turned on, but the dryer drum wasn't spinning. It was just going, like it sounded like it was humming. I was like, uh-oh. 
I'm like, this is going to suck. I'm like, come on. I'm like, I'm already losing extra days, losing hours. I'm like, and on top of that, now I, you know, you got Christmas around the corner, you know, your, your money's flying out of your pocket faster than you can bring it in. And now this happens. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, come on. So I figured what out what my wife was trying to do. She was going to try, you know, trying to reset it because this kind of happened before. And she called my stepfather and he said, just unplug it, let it sit for five minutes and plug it back in. And it worked. Well, now this time it wasn't doing that. It wasn't working. I'm like, oh, no. So then I called this place called Beacons, which is the uh, appliance store. We bought our washer, dryer, refrigerator, all that good stuff when we built the house. And I asked the lady, I said, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure. I said, but kind of sure based off of the quick research I did. I said, I have a funny feeling it's the, you know, dryer belt or whatever. The belt might be, there's might be something wrong with this. I said, it turns on, but it doesn't spin. And she's like, well, let me just do a, you know, a quick calculation here. She goes, first off, just to show up at your door, it's $170. I'm like, okay. I'm like, that's, that's like including labor too. She goes, no, that's just to show up. I'm like, what? like 170 bucks just to show up and knock on my door. She goes, yeah. I said, okay. And I said, well, boy, I can't wait to see what the labor cost is going to be. She goes, well, it's a hundred dollars, $180 an hour build in quarter increment. So if, if, it, if the job takes, you know, a half hour, it, it'll be $90 for labor. I'm like, okay. She goes, but it's $180 an hour and then plus parts. And then, you know, taxes and whatever other crap i said oh man i'm like all right well, i'm like put together an estimate for me and i guess call me back and i haven't heard back from her yet so anyways at my bible study there's a guy who does appliance repair but he's you know quite a ways away so i texted him i said uh dean i said um this is what's happening i took a quick little video i said any ideas are you familiar with dryers because i'd rather call somebody that's a friend and give him the work and pay him before I'd get, you know, hung out to dry and get my pockets bled dry by this big company. He says, um, he goes, start doing this. Take two screws out where your dryer lens at, you know, your dryer traps at on the top. And then you're gonna have to pull out your dryer, get behind it and then pull the whole backing off. I'm like, oh, great. So I did just that. And I started taking pictures as I went through each phase of my project here. Now, keep in mind, I just got home from work. I was about ready to go downstairs and just do a podcast recording, drop it, um, and then continue on my day because I wanted to get to bed a little early tonight. You know, I haven't been getting much sleep, so I figured that's why I wanted to do uh, the recordings. So I'm behind my dryer now. Now, keep in mind, I'm six foot two and a half. I'm a very tall man, very short, you know, very small, confined space. So I'm already claustrophobic as it is. So I finally managed to get this whole back piece off. Then I take a picture of it, send it to him. I said, okay, now what? He goes, okay, you see that big giant long housing off to the left? I'm like, yeah. He goes, there's four screws at the bottom. Take that out. I'm like, oh, I said, this is starting to get deeper into this thing than I really care to. So I did it, took it out. I'm like, all right, it's just four screws. No big deal. Took that out, took a picture of it. I said, okay, now what? He goes, okay, down at the bottom, you should see this big thing. It's a fan. Is there anything preventing that fan from spinning? So I started spinning it. And I said, well, it spins. He goes, it's spinning freely. I said, yeah. Well, in moving that dryer, whatever was clogging it up must have shook and a little loose. So I said, well, I don't see anything clogging this thing and seizing it up. And then I looked a little closer and shined a flashlight down there. And I saw this little long, slim metal piece 
that kind of looked like an Allen wrench of sorts. So I went and picked it up and it was an Allen wrench. It was a teeny tiny Allen wrench. I'm like, what in the world? How did this get in here? So I called him up. I said, Dean, I said, I think I figured it out. I said, it's the Allen wrench. I turned, I, you know, plugged the dryer back in. It turned on. Everything worked. The thing was spinning. I'm like, get out of here. He goes, yeah, sometimes pencils will get caught up in there. Sometimes rats will crawl inside there and, you know, you'll get a nice, good foul smell in there. He goes, but yeah, that happens all the time. He goes, you ever get that again? Just do exactly that. He goes, usually it's just something caught up in that little fan down there, the blower assembly. I'm like, okay. And uh, yeah, so I just saved about 400 bucks. I'm like excited about that. Just, you know, took a little time, get your hands dirty and bada bing, bada boom. I mean, so I was pretty happy about that, but man, I was, I was sweating. I was like, come on, Christmas time, losing hours. And now this happens. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, man, I tell you what, when 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 Satan freaking comes knocking at your door, boy, he likes to freaking pound that door down and and make your day living hell. Let me tell you. So anyways, but uh, there was a few uh, audio clips I kind of wanted to play. Oh, number one. Hold on a second. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Hold on there. Hold on. Stupid computer. Hold on. So anyways, there's a couple of audio pieces I did want to play. Um, some things, again, that were kind of thought provoking stuff that was kind of similar to what I was playing yesterday. Now, listen to this, because this is, you know, look, I love the people that I work with. I think the people I work with are pretty cool people. Um, two of them are my neighbors, and I would say both of them are my friends. And one of them actually listens to this podcast. So what up, Nick? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, generally speaking, before I got my neighbors, which I was always friends with my neighbors first before I got them, you know, you know, referred them over to where I work at. Um, but generally speaking, I don't really hang out with my coworkers, generally, you know, generally speaking. Um, but I do like what this, what this, um, audio clip teaches or uh, says, listen to this about your colleagues at work are not your friends. Number one, stop telling them about your life, your family, and your plans. They will use that information to stab you in the back. Come to work, do your work and go home. Number two, Never mistake your workplace for a place for friendship. Be nice, considerate, and kind, but you're not friends. It's just a job. Number three, never confuse maintaining a professional, ethical, and cordial relationship at work with being friends with your colleagues. You're not. Number four, if it ever comes to saving their jobs or yours, your colleagues will save themselves and throw you to the dogs. That's right. Protect yourself. You Drop know, a yes, if you agree with me. And, and it's interesting. It's interesting that he says that because my buddy Nick that um, that, you know, works with me. I've known him since we've all lived in this neighborhood. So about four years now, I've known him and uh, finally got him over there where I work. And because he was a truck driver somewhere else. Well, finally, you know, and he's a very, very nice guy. Very, very nice guy. Right. And I told him when, you know, cause he was having some issues with some people. Uh, and when I say issues, just, just basic conflict, nothing major, but just some basic conflicts because we have some difficult people that we work with, you know, just big babies, you know, I mean, literally very big babies. And, uh, you know, he tries to show as much respect as possible to his coworkers. I said, look, man, I said, I, I appreciate what you're doing here because there was a few people complaining about him because, you know, he's a hard worker. He gets a lot of miles. He gets a lot done. He gets, he gets things done. 
And he was feeling bad because, you know, some people were kind of, you know, dogging on him saying, man, you're, you know, you're taking all the miles, man. You're doing this and you're doing that. And, you know, you're not, you know, blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, you know, somebody must be, you know, kissing somebody's, you know what, you know, just stuff like that. I said, listen to me, Nick. I said, let me tell you something, brother. I said, you have two little girls at home that you have to take care of. Right. And a lady that you have at home. Right. He goes, yep. I said, let me tell you something. I said, the hell with what anybody says to you. You have two little girls to take care of and yourself first and foremost. You have a family to take care of. You have a household to run. I'm like, the hell what, what people say. I said, you know what? I said, because I'm going to tell you right now, nobody's going to show you the same mutual respect. I said, some might, but the ones that are acting like dinks to you, I'm going to tell you right now. Don't try to go out of your way and kiss their you-know-what to try to save face and be respectful. I said, because I'm going to tell you right now, if they had to pick between throwing your butt under the bus and saving their own hide over something they have done, trust me, they're going to throw you under the bus all day long. I said, dude, this is your bread and butter, and this is how you earn a living. Do not, I said, I'm not saying be a, 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 a butthole or anything like that. I said, but just don't go out of your way to kiss people's rear ends. This is a place to make money, not make friends. This ain't social hour. This is called money-making hour, so you can take care of you and yours. And so anyways, but uh, so, yeah, I, when I saw that video, I was like, yeah, 10-4 on that. That's a wonderful lesson. Um, there was something else here that I really resonated with when I was scrolling online here. Um, where was it? Uh, I think, let me click on this for a second. Is this it? Hold on things that successful people never do if you can't remember all eight at once you can save this video and watch it later these things will not just make you stronger but evolve you into a better version of yourself one no more complaining complaining doesn't fix things instead focus on finding solutions and making things better two skip the blame game taking responsibility for your actions is key it's how you learn and grow even when things get tough. Three, stay calm, skip the arguments. Arguments rarely lead to good stuff. Stay calm, talk it out, and find common ground instead. Four, stay humble, skip the bragging. You don't need to show off. Your actions speak volumes, and staying humble earns respect. Five, calm conversations, no yelling. Yelling doesn't solve problems. Speak calmly to be heard and understood. Six, learn to listen, talk later. Successful people listen more than they talk. Understanding comes before sharing your thoughts. 7. Be kind, skip the judging. Instead of judging, put yourself in others' shoes. It builds empathy and better relationships. 8. Stick to the truth, skip the lies. Honesty builds trust. Even when it's tough, it's the best way to go. That's right. Drop a 100 if you read this far. This shows you absolutely good information. When I heard that, I was like, this is absolutely a good piece of uh, audio that I wanted to really play. It's called Mental Motivation. I thought it was an absolute winning piece to play for the night. Um, but yeah, you know, and then here's another thing. Now, let me, now this kind of going off a little bit, you know, little bit uh, in a different direction now. Um, as far as Ford goes, it serves these people right who run that company. All right. D because just here, just listen to this. Cause I, I, it honestly, it makes me smile because I'm a gas hauler, but it really is astounding how much they are really shooting their own feet. 
Let's get to the genius. Let's get to Ford the... has a massive problem, and it's all down this road right here behind me. All they EVs. EVs that they cannot sell, and it is crushing them. So Ford is actually in massive trouble right now. They are hemorrhaging money on the EV side of their business. They built out all these EVs. They spent so much money making these EVs, and you know what? People don't even want them. So for the numbers that I just looked up, Ford is actually losing $32,000 per EV made right now. So if you look right here behind me, there are 15 right here. All right, so some real quick math, 32,000 times 15 is 480,000. So Ford has lost $480,000 on this row right here. So Ford actually expects to lose $4.5 billion producing their EVs this year. And that's up from the previous expectation of $3 billion. Tisk. I don't know how a publicly traded company with all the money that they have, all the money that they make, is able to miss these numbers in this capacity. It went from $3 billion loss right to $4.5 billion loss. Another thing that's actually not being factored into this is the UAW issues, the strikes that are most likely going to happen, these negotiations that they're going to have to pay their workers more. So instead of this $4.5 billion loss that they're going to have in this EV segment of their business, it's probably going to actually be much greater than that once you factor in the increased uh, labor costs. So Ford has actually cited that one of the big issues that they didn't anticipate is that the adoption of EVs is going much slower than they thought. And you know what? Gee, yeah, you think? Nobody wants electric vehicles. It's no freaking wonder. In fact, they're, they're even saying that out in California, what is it? Uh, I think one or two people out of every 10 people who are electric car owners are actually turning their electric cars back in and going back to combustion motor vehicles. Nobody wants this junk. Look, is there a place for it? Maybe in the city? Sure. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. If you're only driving a few minutes up the road here and there, but you know, let's face facts. These are not really practical vehicles. I don't care who you are, but they're making Hummers into electric vehicles. They're making pickup trucks into electric vehicles. They turned a Ford Mustang into electric vehicle and not to mention turned it into a four-door sedan. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Nobody wants these pieces of junk. And more importantly, these things are so economically unfriendly, if you think about it, compared to a combustion motor. At least a combustion motor with the carbon dioxide or, you know, the carbon that it, it, it emits is actually good for plant life and plant growth. I mean, for the crying out loud. But it, it, it just, uh, people, man, just <laughs> these people. Um there was another audio I wanted to play. Where was it? Oh, yeah, here it is, uh, talking about inflation. This is, again, another sign that the central banking system is, you know, the, 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 the crash is just right around the corner, and it's just crumbling. Listen to this. The times have changed. Basic grocery purchases by Kevin McAllister in the 1990 film Home Alone went from $19.83. Today, the same experiment ran a bill over $72 at one Chicago grocery store. The leap from 2022 to today is wild, but let's look at purchasing power. In 1990, these groceries were $19 and the median household income was $40,000. Fast forward to 2022, the groceries basically doubled to $44 and the income doubled as well. That all makes sense. But in the past year, 
it went from $44 to 72, which is a 1.6 increase, but yet the income stayed exactly the same. If the income would be keeping up, the income should be $129,000 for the median household income. And what do you know, that is the amount of money that the average American family needs to have a shot at qualifying at the average house. So all this inflation, housing prices, daycare, student loans, consumer debt is all on the rise. And yet income is stagnant. That is a big problem that we need to fix. That is a big problem. That is a very huge problem. While inflation keeps going up, 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 and up, and up, you know, the cost of uh, being paid, right, the, the, the pay scale is just only ever so slightly rising while, you know, inflation and the cost of goods and services just go whoom, straight up like Mount Everest. Um, and this is what people are having issues with. I'm noticing more and more people at rest areas that are living in their cars and I'm talking nice cars too. Um, well, Jason, how do you know they're living in their cars? Well, when I'm going up and down the same highways in the same night or, you know, the same, you know, same routes day in, day out, day in and day out, you see the same vehicles parked there day in and day out with towels and sheets hanging over their, their windows. The cars are running all night. These pe there's people living in these cars. There's people living in old campers that they can't, you know, people are not able to afford anything. It's, it's, it's insane. And it's really sad, honestly. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very sad state of affairs of what's going on out there. And it's only going to get worse. You know, here's the thing. The company I work for, they're not even hiring anymore. And, and I remember they were talking about this when I went over to Detroit for, to do this training. They were even saying we had a couple of big wigs that came from our, uh, our, our transport and rail division. And they basically said to us, look, between, you know, in 2024, going into 2025, we're going to be, we're not going to really be, um, hiring. We're not going to be adding to our fleets. And what that told me is they are battening down the hatches because they are getting ready for an economic storm. Stuff is about to get real. And I don't think people really fully understand exactly how real it's going to get. I think more people are going to get pushed to that precipice. As Dave from X22 says, people are going to get pushed to that breaking point. I think this year. So all I'm going to tell you is just be on, you know, the, the preparedness train. Okay. Prep, 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 prep. Okay. I do have a lot of other audio clips here that I want to play, but we don't have enough time to get to them all. So what we are going to do is we're going to just, Stop that for now. So let's get into Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and I'm reading out of the 1599 Geneva Bible, and then we'll get into the tail end of the show, Missing 13th Amendment. No lawyers allowed. I'll be reading this thing called the Millennial uh, the millennial Report, I believe is what it's called. So anyway, starting with verse 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. For, what, for with what judgment ye judge, and ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye mete it meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And why see thou the mote that is in my brother's eye and perceives not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how, how do you say thou that my brother suffer me to cast out the mote out of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Hypocrite, first cast out that beam out of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give ye not that which is holy to dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, unless they tread them under your feet, and turning again all to rent you. 
Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door and it shall be opened unto you. For whosoever asks receives and he that seeks finds and him that knocks it shall be opened. For what man is there among you which if his son ask him bread would give him a stone? Or if he ask for fish will he give him a serpent? If you then, which are evil, can give to your children good gifts, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, even so do ye to them, for this is the new law, or excuse me, the law and the prophets. Enter in at the straight gate, for it is a wide gate, and a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because the gate is straight, in the way narrow that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? So every good tree bringeth good fruit, forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit, he is honed down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith, saith, uh, saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth my Father's will, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not by thy name prophesied and by thy name cast out devils and by thy name done many great works? And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Whosoever then heareth of me these words and doeth the same, I will liken him to a wise man which has built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was grounded, for it was grounded on a rock. But whosoever heareth these my words and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which hath built his house upon the sand. And then the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and the fall thereof was great. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these words, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And that is the reading of Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 29. So Jesus had pretty much a really down-to-earth kind of conversation and gave some really solid advice. Uh, that's just as relevant today as it was back then. See, he was very big on not being quick to judge others. Instead, he said that we should take a good look at ourselves first. See, it's like before we start pointing fingers at someone else, we need to you know, take a peek in the mirror. We need to look at ourselves and take a good, long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror because what he wanted us to do was understand our own imperfections before we start jumping to correct somebody else. Imagine this for a second. Now, if you're in a rush and you accidentally spill your coffee on someone, it's easy to feel frustrated and blame the person for being in your way. But Jesus would nudge us to stop us and say, hey, think about what just happened. He would say, hey, wait a minute. What if you would have been a little bit more careful 
or take, you know, taking your time, slow down a little bit. What if you had just taken a different route even, you know, what's your role in all of this mess? What basically you're supposed to do is hit that pause button, right? Before you react, because he knew that when we pause and look inward, we would often realize that, hey, we're not perfect ourselves either. And maybe we've made similar mistakes or misjudged situations. And by doing this, we're more likely to understand and empathize with the person on the receiving end of our actions. And so Jesus wanted us to have this habit of self-examination. It's not about beating ourselves up. This ain't what this is about. It's about seeing things from both sides, right? From both perspectives, not just one-sided. And when we understand our own imperfections, it becomes easier to extend grace and understanding to others. It's like saying, I get it. I'm not perfect either. See, he didn't want us to avoid addressing issues or challenges. He wanted us to approach them with humility and understanding. And by focusing on our own growth first, we become more equipped to help and support others in a more compassionate and understanding way. It's a simple yet profound idea that nudges us to check ourselves before, you know, we start pointing fingers and be like, look, it's all your fault. But instead, it allows us to foster a more, I don't know what you would call it, I guess a more compassionate and empathetic way of living. See, Jesus also had this interesting way of saying, don't waste your time giving something valuable to those who don't who won't appreciate it. Meaning, he didn't mean, um, he wasn't talking about material items or stuff. It was more about choosing where to put our energy and our efforts. Like why invest into something that won't bring any good back to you, right? And then he talked about the power of prayer. He was saying, Ask and you'll get answers, right? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. That's letting us know that, hey, God's got your back. He's always listening, always will be listening. And then he was also big on treating others the way that we'd want to be treated, right? That golden rule. It's simple, but so important. And I honestly think it's a profound truth that many people still don't quite understand the concept of. I mean, he gave us a heads up about spotting fake people. And he said, look at their actions. And that's how you will know who's genuine. Again, emphasizing the judging a man by the fruits of their labor. You will know them by their works. Yeah, I like what Oscar says here. Stiff-necked and stubborn enemies of the gospel are unworthy to have it preached unto them. That's right. And lastly, with all of this, he wrapped it all up by talking about building our lives on something solid, right? That firm foundation, just like how a house needs a solid, firm foundation, right? Listening to what Jesus said and actually doing it. And by actually doing it, it helps keep us steady when life throws us curveballs. And so what I say is we need to, again, yet again, as we do every day, we need to take these lessons that we read, 
We need to keep it real with ourselves and others and be wise with where we put our energy and remember that doing good matters. Let's build our lives on this solid advice. And may we find our way through life's ups and downs with kindness, understanding, and a good dose of humility. Can I get an amen on that? Absolutely. So this is where we're going to take a quick short little break. I'm going to take a quick sip of water, and then we're going to get into the missing 13th Amendment. No lawyers allowed. This would be, again, we're going to be doing a reading out of, uh, let me pull this up. Where are we at here? We'll be reading, it's called the Millennium Report. It's published October 24th, 2015. So we will be right back. So the missing 13th Amendment, no lawyers allowed in public office. It's a covert plot that altered the U.S. Constitution, exposed conspiracy to subvert the American Republic, uncovered. Here's a little editor's note. says the following investigative research project is of a paramount importance. It is perhaps the most consequential ever undertaken regarding the foundational documents of the United States of America. And truly it doesn't get any more serious than the stunning revelations, which have emerged from this clandestine plot to wrongfully alter the U S constitution and subvert the American Republic. And should this British conspiracy to subjugate the USA, which was directly responsible for the excising of the uh, original 13th amendment ever became common, you know, coming common knowledge, Virtually the entire U.S. Congress would be deemed illegitimate. And it is, because it's a corporation, of course. But in the view of the current state of congressional affairs, it's no wonder that the lawyers and attorneys could not be trusted to responsibly handle the people's business. Why? Because their loyalties have always lied elsewhere, uh, like England. And it's a well-known fact of life that the legal class of the USA has degenerated into the most untrustworthy and treasonous, deceitful and dishonest scumbags that they are. And this certainly, you know, this certain eventuality was deeply feared by the founding fathers of the American Republic. And it was for this very reason that the original 13th Amendment was carefully deliberated and legally ratified. That's right. And we covered this in yesterday's podcast. Now, however, it was then also unlawfully removed from the U.S. Constitution during the tumult of the Civil War after being completely ignored for decades. Now, what I'm going to be reading is called the Millennium Report. All right, the Millennium Report. Now, before we get into that, I'm going to read something that was by... Who is this by? Uh, this was some research that was done in the winter of 1983 uh, by an archival researcher by the name of David Dodge. He was a former Baltimore Baltimore police investigator. And Tom Dunn, uh, they were searching for evidence of a government corruption 
in public records that were stored in Belfast, uh, in the Belfast library on the coast of Maine. And by chance, they discovered the library's oldest authentic copy of the Constitution of the United States, which actually should be for the United States, which was printed in 1825. And both men were stunned to see the document included the 13th Amendment that no longer appears on the current copies of the Constitution. Now, moreover, after studying the amendment's language and historical context, they realized the principal intent of this missing 13th Amendment was to prohibit lawyers from serving in the government. That's right, because if you're a bar card holding scumbag lawyer, which basically the bar stands for British Accreditation Registry, you're basically swearing allegiance to a foreign entity, the crown. You are not allowed to hold public office per the Constitution of the United States for America, you know, the United States of America. And so began a seven-year nationwide search for the truth surrounding the most bizarre constitutional puzzle in American history and the unlawful removal of a ratified amendment from the Constitution of the, you know, for the United States. And since 1983, Dodge and Dunn have uncovered additional copies of the Constitution with the missing 13th Amendment printed in at least 18 separate publications by 10 different states and territories over four decades, from 1822 to 1860. And so in June of this year, Dodge uncovered the evidence that this missing 13th Amendment had indeed been lawfully, and that would be when he says June of this year, meaning 1983, but um, it, the 13th Amendment had been indeed been lawfully ratified by the state of Virginia and was therefore an authentic amendment to the American constitution. And if the evidence is correct and no logical errors have been made, the 13th amendment restricting lawyers from serving in government was ratified in 1819 and removed from our constitution during the tumult of the civil war. And since the amendment was never lawfully repealed, it is still the law today. And there's an interesting book that I've been reading. It was called, well, Basically, it was called the, 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 the Constitution that never was. Very interesting read. Now, there is a caveat here with all this, because it is because of lawyers and attorneys that are formally registered with the bar, again, the British accredited registry, that they could not be trusted to hold public office in the USA by implicitly pledging their allegiance to an entity of a foreign government. They could not be trusted to act in the best interest of the American Republic or its people. Now, the, again, this is the Millennium Report now. That was just an editor's note. The Millennium Report, and I'm going to read through this. It's about 43 pages. I'm not going to read the whole thing today, so we're going to break it up over the next few days. But I'm going to read through this because I think it's that important. So, again, the missing 13th Amendment, No Lawyers Allowed in Public Office, written by David M. Dodge, researcher. Now, this... What I'm about to read was from, uh, it was written and published, I want to say, let's see, this says August 1st of 1991. So in the winter of 1983, the archival researcher David Dodge and former police investigator Tom Dunn, they were searching, like I was saying, you know, in Belfast Library on the coast of Maine. And both men were stunned again to see all this, you know, what they uncovered. Now, let me scroll down a little bit because I feel like this is a repeat of what we just read. Now. The 13th Amendment for the Constitution of the United States reads as follows. And again, I, I read this yesterday on the air, but it says, if any citizen of the United States shall accept, claim, receive, or retain any title of nobility or honor, or shall without the consent of Congress accept and retain any present pension, office, or emolument of any kind, whatever, from any emperor, king, prince, or foreign power, such person shall cease 
to be a citizen of the United States, meaning you need to stop holding the office and being a public servant for the people of the United States. And so basically it continues to say, and shall be incapable, incapable of holding any office or trust or profit under them or either of them. Now, at first reading this, the meaning of this 13th Amendment, also called the title of nobility amendment, seems obscure, right? Unimportant. But the references to nobility, honor, emperor, king, and prince leads us to dismiss this amendment as a as a petty post-revolution act of spite directed against the British monarchy. And so the U.S. modern world of Lady Di and Princess Char uh, Prince Charles make anti-royalist sentiments seem so archaic and quaint that the amendment can be ignored. Not so. Now consider some evidence of its historical significance. First, the titles of nobility were prohibited in both Articles 6 of the Articles of Confederation of 1777 and in Article 1, Section 9 and 10 of the Constitution of the United States in 1787. Now secondly, although already published by the Constitution, an additional title of nobility amendment was proposed in 1789, again in 1810, and according to Dodge, finally ratified in 1819. Clearly, the founding fathers saw such a serious threat in the titles of nobility and honors that anyone receiving them would forfeit their citizenship. And since the government prohibited titles of nobility several times over four decades, and went through the amending process, even though titles of nobility were already prohibited by the Constitution, it's obvious that the amendment carried much more significance for our founding fathers than is readily apparent today. See, they don't want you knowing this. They want you to say, stay ignorant, stupid, and um, blind. Now, here's a little historical context with this. So, to understand the meaning of this missing 13th Amendment, we need to understand its historical context because the era surrounds the American Revolution. And we tend to regard the notion of, quote unquote, democracy as benign, harmless and politically unremarkable. But at the time of the American Revolution, King George III and the other monarchies of Europe saw democracy as an unnatural, ungodly ideology, th ideological threat and every bit as dangerously radical as communism once was regarded by modern Western nations. And so just as the 1917 communist revolution in Russia spawned other revolutions around the world, the American revolution provided an example and incentive for people all over the world to overthrow their European monarchies. So even though the Treaty of Paris ended the Revolutionary War in 1783, the simple fact of our existence threatened the monarchies and the United States stood as a heroic role model for other nations that inspired them to also struggle against oppressive monarchies. And then the French Revolution in 1789 to 1799 and the Polish National Uprising in 1794 were in part encouraged by the American Revolution. And so though we stood like a beacon of hope for most of the world, the monarchies regarded the United States as a political typhoid Mary, the principal source of radical democracy that was destroying monarchies around the world. And so the monarchies must have realized that, well, if the primary source of that infection could be destroyed, then the rest of the world might avoid the contagion and the monarchies would be saved, thus basically preserving the cabal elitist that we are eradicating today. Now, their survival 
at stake, the monarchies sought to destroy or subvert the American system of government. They wanted to get rid of this republic. And knowing that they couldn't destroy us militarily, they resorted to more covert methods of political subversion, employing spies and secret agents skilled in bribery and legal deception, legalese. It was perhaps the first Cold War. And since governments run on money, politicians run for money, and money is the usual enticement to commit treason, much of the monarchy's counter-revolution efforts emanated from English banks. And speaking of bank, don't bank on it. Modern banking system, because here's the thing with the banking system. The essence of banking was once explained by Sir Josiah Stamp, a former president of the Bank of England. Now, the modern banking system manufactures money out of nothing, just right out of thin air. Hey, look at that. We got money. And the process is perhaps the most astounding piece of slate of hand, sleight of hand that was ever invented. Banking was conceived in inequity and born in sin. I mean, it's basically the Babylonian satanic money system. It's money magic. And bankers own the earth and they take it away from them but leave them the power to create money. And with the flick of a pen, they will create enough money to buy it back again. Take this great power away from them, or if you want to continue to be the slaves of the bankers and pay the cost of your own slavery, then let bankers continue to create money and control credit. See, this is why I think we're seeing this crazy inflation, because the banking system is coming down to a crumbling halt and a, and a screeching halt, and it's going to crash and burn. Because we are going to get back to a banking system and we're going to get back to sound money that's backed by gold, by precious metals, the way it's always should have been. And so the last great abuse of the U.S. banking system caused the depression of the 1930s. And today's abuses may cause another current SNL and bank scandals illustrate the ongoing relationships between banks, lawyers, politicians, and government agencies. And look at the current BCCI bank scandal involving lawyer Clark Clifford, politician Jimmy Carter at that time in the 80s, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and even the CIA. These scandals at that time are all the direct results of years of law-breaking by an alliance of bankers and lawyers using their influence and money to corrupt the political process and rob the public. You think you're not being robbed? Guess who's going to pay the bill for the excesses of the SNL U.S. taxpayers? You are. You and I are. The systematic robbery of productive individuals by parasitic bankers. That's right. And lawyers another form of leech. And this is not a real time. See, this abuse is a human tradition that predates the Bible and spread from Europe to America despite early colonial prohibitions. Why do you think Jesus got so ticked off in the temple at all the money changers and he flipped tables and cracked the whip on these people? He knew what these people were doing. He knew what they were doing. And when the first United States Bank was chartered by Congress in 1790, 
there were only three state banks in existence. And at one time, the banks were prohibited by law in most states because many of the early settlers were all too familiar with the practices of the European goldsmith banks. And goldsmith banks were safe houses used to store clients' gold. In exchange for the deposited gold, customers were issued notes, paper money, which were redeemable in gold. And the goldsmith bankers quickly succumbed to the temptation to issue extra notes unbacked by gold. Why? Because the extra notes enriched the bankers by allowing them to buy property with notes for gold that they did not own and gold that did not even exist. And colonists knew that bankers occasionally printed too much paper money, found themselves over leveraged and caused a run on the bank. And if the bankers lacked sufficient gold to meet the demand, then the paper money became worthless. And then common people left holding nothing but paper were ruined kind of like what we're seeing today. It's like Oscar was saying right here, Babylonian rulers alive and well today. That's right. I don't know about you, but my pockets are a little bit hurting yet these days. Just saying. And it sucks. But although over-leveraged bankers were sometimes hung for this, the bankers still thought they could continue printing extra money to increase their fortunes at the expense of the productive members of society. Hence the 16th Amendment that we see today. See, the practice continues to this day, and people don't even realize it, and offers these quote-unquote sweetheart loans to bank insiders and even provides the foundation for deficit spending and the U.S. federal government's unbridled growth. Now, if the colonists forgot the lesson of goldsmith bankers of its day, the American Revolution refreshed their memories. And so to finance the war at that time, Congress had to authorize the printing of continental bills of credit in an amount not to exceed $200 million. See, the states issued another $200 million in paper notes. Ultimately, that value of paper money fell so low that they were, so, they were soon traded on speculation from 5,000 to 1,000 paper bills for one coin. And it often suggested that the U.S. Constitution prohibition against the paper economy and no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. And that was a tool of the wealthy to be worked to the disadvantage of all others, but only in a paper economy can money reproduce itself and increase the claim of the wealthy and the expense of the productive. Palicia, I think, uh, I think that's how you, not Palicia, Pelatia, Pelatia Webster said paper money polluted the equ equity of our laws turned them into engines of oppression, corrupted the justice of our public administration, destroyed the fortunes of thousands who had confidence in it, and enervated the trade, husbandry, in manufacturers of U.S. country, and went far to destroy the morality of the U.S. people. Now, if you want to get down the conspiracy side of things, there is a few examples of the attempts of the monarchies and banks that almost succeeded in destroying the United States. So according to the Tennessee laws in 1715 to 1820, in the 1794 Jay Treaty, the United States agreed to pay 600,000 pounds sterling to King George III as reparations for the American Revolution. And the Senate ratified the treaty in secret session and ordered that it not be published. Now, when Benjamin Franklin's grandson published it anyway, 
The exposure and, and resulting public uproar so angered the Congress that it passed the Alien and Seditions Sedition Act of 1798 so federal judges could prosecute editors and publishers for reporting the truth about the government. Well, 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 look at that. So back then it was judges that was trying to basically create fake news by punishing publishers and editors for reporting truth. So at that time, the judges were the instigators of fake news. That's right, Oscar. Free speech, not so free, eh? That's right. Not then. Was it ever? And since we had won, according to the history books, the Revolutionary War, why would U.S. senators agree to pay reparations to the loser? And why would they agree to pay 600,000 pounds of sterling 11 years after the war ended? It doesn't make sense, especially in the light of Senate's, the Senate's secrecy and later fury over being exposed, unless we assume that the U.S. senators had been bribed to serve the British monarchy and betray American people. That's called subversion, folks. And so the United States Bank had been opposed by the Jeffersonians from the beginning, and but the Federalists, the pro-monarchy party won out in its establishment. And the initial capitalization was $10 million, 80% of which would be owned by the foreign bankers. And since the bank was authorized to lend up to $20 million, double its paid in capital, it was profitable. It was a profitable deal for both the government and the bankers since they could lend and collect interest on $10 million that didn't even exist. That's called fractional banking. But the European bankers outfoxed the government by 1796. And so the government owed the bank $6,200,000 and was forced to sell its shares. And by 1802, the U.S. government owned no stock in the United States Bank. The sheer power of the banks and their ability to influence representative government by economic manipulation and outright bribery was exposed in 1811. And when the people discovered that the European banking interest owned 80% of the bank, Congress therefore refused to renew the bank's charter. And this led to the withdrawal of $7 million in specie, uh, in, I, I believe this is spelled correctly, in specie by European investors, or in spec, maybe, I don't know, but which in turn uh, precipitated an, an economic recession. And then the War of 1812 began, and that's the destruction that occurred and when DC got burned. See, there is undoubtedly other examples of the, you know, the monarchy's efforts to subvert and destroy the United States. And some are common knowledge and a lot of it is not. A lot remains to be disclosed to the public. Like, for example, David Dodge discovered a book called Two VA, uh, Two VA Law. So Two Virginia Law in the Library of Congress Law Library. According to Dodge, this is an uncatalogued book in the rare book section that reveals a plan to overthrow the constitutional government by secret agreements engineered by the lawyers. And that is one of the reasons why this amendment was ratified by Virginia and the notification was lost in the mail. There is no public record that this book even exists. And that may sound surprising, but according to the Gazette on May 10th, 1991, the Library of Congress has 349,402 uncatalogued rare books and 13.9 million uncatalogued rare manuscripts. And there may be secrets buried in that mass of documents, even more astonishing than the missing constitutional amendment. 
And right there, I think is going to be a perfect place for us to stop because the next session section is called titles of nobility. I believe we are on page, what page are we on? We are on now on page 13. We're in the middle of 13, almost on 14 out of 43 pages. So we're going to end there. We're going to um, do a prayer and we'll pick this up tomorrow. And we're going to continue. Well, not tomorrow. Cause tomorrow, like I said, I won't be on the air tomorrow. Tomorrow is my, uh, an anniversary of me being born. Apparently, I guess they call it a birthday. I don't know. It's just a, uh, my dad always calls it another year closer to death, but I don't call it that, but it's funny, funny to say, funny to think about. But, uh, anyway, so I won't be on the air tomorrow, but I will get back more into this. Um, let's see tomorrow's what Tuesday. So I'll get back into this on Wednesday. I'll get back in on this on Wednesday. So I appreciate the birthday wishes. Thank you very much. Uh, Liz and Ellis says birthday song. <laughs> I'm not playing. I am not may, maybe Thursday. I don't know. I'm definitely, I definitely don't have one queued up today. <laughs> he, so here's something interesting. So because I was born in Japan, I was thinking about this the other day. So I was born December 12th at 12.02 p.m. Japanese standard time. I was born in Japan on an air force base. So I was curious what time and what date would it be here in the Eastern time zone when I was born in Japanese time. So technically Eastern time zone wise, I was born December 11th at 9 2 PM. So I was technically born, if I was born in New Jersey, I would have been born December 11th. Yeah, my mom right here was saying Japan is 14 hours ahead. If I'm doing my math correctly, it would have been June, or excuse me, uh, December 11th. December 11th at 9.02 p.m., which would make sense. So 9.02, so 9 to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, 12 to 1, 1 to 2, 2 3, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 11. That would make sense. 14 hours ahead. So technically, is my birthday, is so here's the question of the day. Is my birthday today at 9.02 p.m. or is it tomorrow? Because that was Japanese time. That's a good question. Like, am I born on the 11th? Like what? I've been living a lie this whole time, folks. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. Liz and Ellis says birthday week. We celebrate birthday months here. <laughs> I got two birthdays, the 11th and the 12th. I'll celebrate both days. I don't care. <laughs> oh man. So anyway. Okay. You know what? Real quick, real quick too, because I got a fair amount of people here. Uh, I got to settle this debate. I got to sell this debate. Hold on. Let me get the wife on the phone real quick. Hold on. Hold, hold the phone. Now I kind of figured this out because I asked chat GBT today and I was curious to see what that stupid AI would say. And it made me mad. Hold on. Let me call the wife up real quick. This has been an ongoing thing. Hold on. Yeah, ma, I want two birthdays, <laughs> two birthday gifts, two birthday cakes. Hello. Hey, wife. What are you doing? 
I'm making dinner. Okay. Do you have time for a minute? Sure. Okay. I'm just wrapping up the show. I, I decided to do a live. So this ongoing debate that we were having. <laughs> yeah. You know where I'm going now with this. Yeah. So we were out to eat, ladies and gentlemen, out to breakfast. And the kid menu has uh, tic-tac-toe. And my kid likes to play tic-tac-toe. Well, when nobody wins, I always call it a draw or a tie, right? And she was saying, no. She goes, it's called the cat wins. I'm like, what? The cat wins? And she goes, yeah, the cat wins or cat scratch, right? Is that what you said? Either the cat wins or cat scratch? Yeah, the cat wins. Now, when she said this, and then you drew, you do what? You draw a big C over it if nobody wins, right? Yeah. Now, when I heard this, folks, I looked at my wife like she was crazy. You see, Nancy says right here in the chat, never heard that before. I never heard that before either. So this was funny. So she called her, I called my mom and I'm bothering her and my stepdad on their Vegas trip and they've never heard of it either. I was like, there we go. See, it's not a normal thing. That's stupid. So she goes, no, wait a minute. So she calls her mom, mom, <laughs> what does it? What's it called when nobody wins? And then she goes and says the cat scratch or the cat wins. I'm like, what the hell? Like, that's not a thing. There's no way. Like, and so I asked the chat GPT out of curiosity. So she went on Google and she found on Google, right? Cause it said on Google, it's called cat scratch or cat wins. Right. Yeah. And then I asked stupid AI and it says, oh, it's a draw or tie. I'm like, there it is. I'm like, there it is. Well, I went on there again today and I said, are you sure it's called a draw or a tie? And this is what the stupid AI says. It says, oh yes, there is another cute way of uh, describing a draw or a tie called the cat wins or cat scratch. I was like, oh, good God. <laughs> well, we also asked our friends the other night. And they, yeah, that's right. We asked our friends the other night when we had game night and- yeah, yep. They agree. They heard it. They know it as cat scratch or whatever. Yeah. So anybody else in here? So obviously my mom has never heard of it. Liz has never heard of it. Nancy's never heard of it. Oscar, I didn't see your answer. Have you? Uh, let me scroll up. Let me scroll up. Um, Oscar, have you ever heard of it? He says, see with the line. Hold on. See with a line is complete for me never heard of cat scratching okay so oscar has never really heard of it so i i guess it's a thing though this is crazy i don't know so it just blew my mind hmm. blew my mind i'm still gonna call it a draw that cat scratch thing is stupid mm, it's, it's the cat wins i don't like the cat wins first off i don't like cats how come not the dog why can't the dog win it's not a dog's game well, how is it a cat's game? I don't know. You'd have to read the Google description again on where it came from. Google's fake news. You just said you looked it up yourself. Oh, uh, uh, chat GPT. I did not ask Google. Google sucks. As you tell me, there's no difference. <sighs> They're both. It's all Skynet. It's all going to ruin our lives. It's all going to take over the world and AI is going to run us. Exactly. Boy, our assemblies have no chance if we have AI. <laughs> no comment no. boy you're whoa that was very loud that was very very loud okay well i'll let you go okay okay love you love you bye bye
But yeah, this was an ongoing debate. And as you could tell from my mom's comments up above, she goes, oh, no, not this again. <laughs> I never heard of it. I'm like, I have never heard that cat wins as a draw or a tie for tic-tac-toe. So anyways, do me a favor. If you're on Telegram or True Social or even the comment section on Podbean, have you ever heard that a tic -tac if you're playing tic-tac-toe and it's a draw or a tie where nobody wins, have you heard of it? being referred to as the cat wins or have you never heard of that? I'm just curious because that's my own stupid curiosity. So anyway, so let's pray. So heavenly father, thank you so much for a marriage like mine. That makes me debate stupid things like this, like tic-tac-toe, <laughs> but we thank you for all the many blessings you bring us. Thank you for the gift of companionship and friendship with our spouses. And thank you for the gift of of children, and we pray each and every day uh, for the well-being of our future. And we pray for our assembly, our reassembly of states, and our country as a whole. We pray for our leaders, the real leaders, not the fake leaders, but the real leaders of this country and of the world, uh, for that matter. We pray for the safety of the white hat military alliance that's out there working to bring down this cabal, this system that has enslaved us for so long. And we just ask that you keep guiding us, keep, keep, keep walking with us and showing us the way and where we need to go. And Father, we just thank you for just everything you do for us, all the little things that we often overlook, things that we sometimes even take for granted. So anyway, we pray all of this in your Holy Son's name, Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. So with that, I bid you all adieu. I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world. And remember, like it states in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And also don't forget, like we just read here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find a knock and the door will be opened to you. Again, Matthew 7, 7. God bless, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you back here next time. God bless. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show.
Don't forget to check out the website, www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Joining us here at His Heart Line. We'll see you back here next time.